Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, and I want to thank you so much for listening to me today, or whenever you're listening, right? And if you hear a slight humming in the background, it is because I have a fan on down in my office, and uh, if you've been a listener to Idle Chatter or my radio show on Sirius XM, then you know that I record this in the farmhouse, that this is real hillbilly. It's not, uh, I'm not in a production studio or what have you, and uh, there's, we have no uh, climate control, but we have heat down here, but we don't have, in, my office is in the basement, so I have a little fan that runs, and that's very efficient to keeping uh, things nice but i try not to do to have it on when i record because it be, it, it 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 puts it gets into the recording because the microphone is so sensitive i could hear it in my headphones you may not hear it on the radio i mean when you listen to it but if you do hear something in the background please forgive me but it is the fan it's quite muggy and hot today and if you're not i don't want to lose my enthusiasm for being with you and you know when i used to do the tv show for successful farming we used to film over in uh well, i shouldn't say we filmed in a number of different locations but the last couple of seasons i filmed at the in the at the firestone tire research center in columbiana ohio and it was in the uh engineering department and it was uh, it was like a I don't want to say a warehouse type of building. I mean, it was it was not it, when when you say the engineering department, it wasn't like office buildings. So they had all the test equipment there, and what have you. And there was, uh, and we had to close the doors. Uh, they have like big garage doors to bring you know farm equipment in and test tires and what what have you. So it was like an industrial building, I should say. It then uh, maybe like a f- eighteen foot high ceiling. It wasn't too too high, but. Uh, but uh it would get so hot in there because the sun would beat on it when we always filmed we always filmed in the summertime and uh, but those segments were only three minutes so it was like okay and you you have to try to keep your enthusiasm level up and in your voice when you're talking about something and and the camera's picking up the sweat running off your <laughs> running off your brow so uh, but we didn't have to do uh, many retakes you just plow through that and then the, go into the lunchroom and recharge where the air conditioner was and come back out five minutes later and do the next segment so forgive me if you hear some buzz some humming in the background of this recording and let me see what else we have to uh catch back up because sue is back from her vacation over in europe so this is this show is is current i should say it is it's being recorded the saturday before uh it airs on wednesday so that's when it drops so i usually record them a few days ahead of time so that they're current and as i told you we have to get back in line and i have to uh announce a lot of winners and i have two more pins in my map so let's do the pins first and the first pin in my map is compliments of thomas and mary adams in new bloomfield pennsylvania and their dairy farmers there and uh i believe they listen on the sxm show but i may be wrong i they, they do listen because they told me that they listen to the show while they're milking the cows so they got hot rod cows and they have holsteins i know they have black and white holsteins and some red and white holsteins and i think they said they had 
a couple of jerseys or uh, brown Swiss. They had a, they had another a, a few of another. I was going to say brand, the breed of cow to add some butter fat into the milk. But they have a they have a, a carousel. They have a, in their milking parlor. They have a rotary milking parlor, and it was put in in 1973. So that is the cat's meow. I mean, that was something back in 1973 in that neck of the woods. That new Bloomfield, Pennsylvania. When I put the pin in my map, was is. Uh, if I remember correctly, north and west of Harrisburg, so not too, too far away. Anyway, I thank you for the pin, Mr. and Mrs. Adams, greatly appreciated. And then there's Mr. Rex Dorgerty, Dorgerty, and he is from, uh, please excuse me, sir, if I'm pronouncing your last name wrong, I think it's Dorgerty, and it's, uh, he's from Lowell, Indiana, so, uh, and I looked on the map, and I put the pin in Lowell, Indiana, is in the northwest corner of Indiana, not too far from the Illinois border. And uh, when I go across Indiana, I take Route 24 into in, into Illinois, and I believe that the route I run is about 35 or 40 miles south of where Mr. Dorgerty is listening to this hot rod farmer from New Jersey. And what this is all about, if you're new to the show, just remember that if you go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com, and fill out the form to enter the contest to win a hot rod farmer license plate, made in USA license plate, then you will also get a pin in my map. And the purpose of this is so I could identify where my listeners are, so I could better serve them with content on both the radio show, on Sirius XM Rural Radio, Farm Machinery Digest Radio or the Idle and or the Idle Chatter Podcast and my other shows also. I do those two little short shows and it's uh, the 60 seconds, 65 seconds each to Hot Rod Farmer Minute and Bushels and Cents. So hopefully you're listening to those and then when the and also the On the Road Podcast. And those aren't that often the On the Road Podcast because I have to find, uh, I only, I only, <clears throat> feature people on the on the road show that are passionate as i say about either farming or firing orders and some people are passionate about both but i do have a couple of episodes that i am going to be recording prior to the harvest season starting here on the bohax farm which i'm going to discuss in a minute and i have mr gene worst is going to be on an episode very very shortly and uh, gene is my best friend in all of the world we're like brothers and he lives now out in nevada as they say instead of nevada nevada and he lives out in nevada and he's a car guy he's not a farmer all right so he's not passionate about agriculture but he's certainly passionate about cars and i'm looking forward to uh, introducing my audience to my best friend for many many years we've been uh, <laughs> we, we were young guys full of had no 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 gray hair <clears throat> and we had dreams and hopes in the world right so and you should always have dreams and hope regardless of your age but it's a little bit different when you're younger and you're a teenager because nothing is impossible and uh, you haven't gotten beat up by life but that's fine right thank god you know we're still here and we're able to take the punches and then i'm also scheduled to have dr larry butler so larry butler had i was i i would say introduced i never <clears throat> i never met him but i feel like i know him because i used to watch his tv show on rfd tv it was called out on the land and he was a uh 
<clears throat> excuse me, he was with the uh, NRCS National Conference National Conversation uh, Con- Cons- Conservation Resource Services. So uh, he was with them, and he has a PhD in. Uh, maybe in soils or something. I really have to know, but he had an excellent show out on the land. I learned a lot from Dr. Larry Butler's TV show, and it's no longer on the air, but it's on YouTube, the back episodes, and they are well worth watching. So I learned uh, a great deal from Dr. Larry Butler, his show out on the land, which helped me make my farm more effective than it was prior to that. So those are my two pins, and I just invite you all to give me a pin in my map, and I thank you for considering that. Just go to Hot Rod Farmer at FarmMachineRedigest.com and fill out the form. But as I had said in the previous shows, which were pre-recorded, right, or pulled ahead, is that I was saving all the winners. So Mr. Joseph Fravel from New Albany, Ohio, has to reach out to me because you want a hot rod farmer license plate and tell me where you need for me to send it. Mr. Seth Wood from Rich, Richmond, Virginia, you are a winner also. And if you don't know Seth Wood, Seth Wood is the is the uh, the person who is the, uh, the creator of the Corn Warriors TV show and the Podfathers, two excellent TV, they're, I guess, you would call them reality agricultural shows if that's really a, a category. But Seth uh, is the brainchild and the producer and the owner of those two shows. And then Mr. Ben Hushin from Bel Air, Maryland, who is uh, my my agronomist. And then Mr. Robert Creel from Helena, Alabama, not Helena, Montana, Helena, Alabama. And then Mr. uh, Marshall I'm going to pronounce it Huss or Hussey, Hussey, H-O, I believe it's H-O-S-S-E. I may have spelled it wrong. Excuse me, sir. But you'll know who you are because you live in Truckee, California. So, and, but he's not from, I believe he's from Michigan originally. And he's out there and he, and he has a very, very interesting uh, background because we had communicated <clears throat> a while back. So, Marshall, uh, if I got your name wrong, please forgive me. Send me an email so I know where in Truckee to send you that Hot Rod Farmer license plate. And then last but not least, we got a real long-distance winner here, Mr. Frank Ellefson, and he's from someplace in Norway. I don't know the town. I just put a pin in my map in Norway, and I believe that he is a machinist or a welder out there, and uh, his girlfriend when he communicated with me his girlfriend and her sister are drag racers and they have a um i think they have an a, a, an econo dragster and or or uh, something uh, some sort of dragster i think it was an econo dragster he told me there's so many classes today in drag racing that it's hard to keep and maybe in europe they have different classes because it's not an hra i think they pattern it after nhra but they obviously have some <clears throat> different things going on there and uh, and I think the other sister of his girlfriend runs a drag bike. So there are, there are hot rod girls out there, and, and Frank Ellison, listen. So, Frank, I would be honored to send you a hot rod farmer license plate and let that go through customs to Norway. So just please, everyone, reach out to me, Mr. Fravel, Mr. Wood, Mr. Hushin, Mr. Creel, Mr. Haas, and Mr. Ellefson, and let me know where to send those license plates. So thank you so, so much. And we're going to have also a letter today uh, 
in the special delivery. It means Tax Rubinowitz is going to be back from Ripsaw Records to sing us into that. And uh, we're going to have that. And that actually, that letter is not from the website. It's from my Ask Ray column in Hemming's Muscle Machine. So it's, uh, but it's a, it, it is applicable to this audience. So it's, uh, it's not, you know, muscle car related. Like, oh, how, you know, uh, you know, how much horsepower did a 72 Chevelle have or something? So it's, it's, and that's why whenever I feature some of those letters on, in idle chatter, it's only because they have broad based appeal and you could replace whatever it is, 72 SS 454 Chevelle with a John Deere tractor or a grain truck or an irrigation pump. So it doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, as far as my, I mean, hey, I wouldn't be a farmer if we didn't talk about the crops, right? So, as, <clears throat> excuse me, as far as my crop is concerned, it's then again all over the map. We have nine plantings. They're all over the map as far as some look great, some, some didn't come up. I'm not laughing, but I guess I'm chuckling. Some didn't come up. And it's really, you know, it's amazing to me. And it's, it, this is going to be a segue into what we're going to talk about today in the show. So I'm not just babbling to waste your time. But it's amazing to me how you could have the same seed from the same batch, the same planter, the same settings, the same fertility, the same field, all right? And we we don't, our fields are small, and even though anybody who farms knows that there's, excuse me, I got this, wipe my nose here. I didn't have to tell you that, but <laughs> I'm sorry. But uh, it's amazing, we don't have a lot of variability in our fields, so the two fields that I farm, that, oh, I, that I put the sweet corn in, are almost, if you look at the soil test, they're a little bit different, but within the margin of error or sampling error. And, uh, and within the field itself, there's not a lot of variability. The soil structure is more or less the same. I mean, I'm not going to say there's no variability, but not any variability of consequence. And uh, so that's, that's an important point of this part of this story. And the thing is that uh, you get some people with very, you know, with, with what I'll call real farms, all right? Mine's a Mickey Mouse operation. When you're out in the field working, it doesn't seem Mickey Mouse, but, you know, compared to somebody who's farming thousands of acres and, you know, farming of one field is a thousand acres big, large, then you can have a lot of variation in soil and soil type there to a certain extent. But anyway, my fields don't have any real vari- variability uh, across them. So, but the thing that I'm getting at is I have nine different plantings. Like this is a segue into our show today. Nine different plantings, the same seed, the same fertilizer, the same tractor, the, the, the same setting. Everything is exactly the same, right? The only thing that is different is the calendar. So the calendar is different. So the dates that I planted were different. And my last planting went in June 20th, which is very, very late. All right, but if you're doing fresh market sweet corn and it's like a 78 or 80 day corn, if you wanted if you wanted corn at the end of September, the first week of October, then you have that's when you have to plant it. All right, there's no no two ways about it. It's like saying you want to get on the plane to go to California, you got to be on the plane a certain time. It takes so long to get there, but it never ceases to amaze me how the crops look completely different just based upon sometimes four days different in their planting date. And my last planting, as I said, was the planting number nine, June 20th, and we really didn't get any rain 
from before I planted that up until now. And it's been a crazy season here because it was too cold and too wet in the spring. And then once we got started to plant, it got to be, I'm not going to say it's been too hot. We had a lot of cloudy days. It's been warm, but it's summertime. It's not anything exceptional. This week is supposed to be in the 90s, which is fine. But we've had very, very little rain. And the one rain we did have, the weather station said was 0.58 inches, but it came down like in 10 minutes. So that does just runs off. It's better than nothing, but that just runs off and does not you know leach into the soil so it's really it's 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 like i say it's better than nothing but arguably you know not that much better and this particular field has a lot of cover crop residue on it we call it trash in the vernacular of agriculture so it's got a heavy layer of trash on it which is good because it keeps the you know, the tries to keep the soil damper from evaporation but uh and doesn't allow the heavy rain to beat the soil and shot peen it and make it crusty but this last planting boy is that's the planting eight and nine but specifically number nine and it's only it's, it's on and it's only four days between eight and nine and number nine is really hanging its tongue out very poor germination um very poor growth and for those of you that are in that are not in agriculture because that is some of the audience right they're not in agriculture or not they may be in an aspect of agriculture they may work in a a farm machinery or dealership but really not have a farming background doesn't mean you can't be a good farm machinery mechanic um is that I have very low CEC soil. And what CEC stands for is cation exchange capacity. And uh, and it's a lot like horsepower because CEC doesn't really exist. It's a calculation based upon the amount of uh, organic matter, the type, the type of clay, and the amount of clay that, are, that is in the soil. It's all different types of clay. All right, so it's, it's it's a calculation based upon that, and what it's what it's used for is an indicator. It's a metric. It's an indicator, just like horsepower doesn't exist. The dynamometer registers torque, not horsepower, and it's an indicator of the soil's holding capacity. So I am about as far from an agronomist as one could possibly be, but uh, if you want to think of the soil's holding capacity think of the soil like a sponge it has the ability to hold nutrients and hold moisture the lower the cec like mine is around 5.960 uh the lower the cec then the less holding capacity so you'd say it's a sponge if it was a kitchen sponge you'd say it's a sponge with less density it can't hold a lot it can't or a paper towel right when it used to be i think it was I forgot what it was, hefty or something, paper towels used to show, or the brawny, they used to show, look, it could suck up everything and hold it, right, and not drip. Well, that's like CEC with soil. So if you have a low C, and what is a cation? And so there's two terms, with, there's a cation and an anion, A-N-I-O-N, and cation is C-A-T-I-O-N. So they're both referring to atoms, atoms in the soil. So a cation is a positive charge, and an anion is a negative charge. So it is something where, so it's positive and negative. So the cation exchange capacity, so the cations hold on to the nutrients and they hold on to the water. So the thing basically is, is that if I had what we would call in agriculture heavier ground, 
all right and i'm a, a denser a better sponge i don't want to say denser but even though that's probably part of it a better sponge i could hold more nutrients and hold more water more moisture so what is happening is i have low cec soil so when it stops raining and it gets hot that soil evaporates out the, the moisture very very quickly and that is why my ninth planting is really doing very poorly my eighth planting is doing a little bit better than my ninth because it would had four or five more days of less evaporation of the moisture from the soil and then my earliest some of my other plantings look beautiful and you could say to yourself, well, why do they look beautiful if the CEC is the same and you had the same? Because what happens <clears throat> is that the plants have the ability to send roots down because the plant is bigger. So it has the ability to send roots down and the roots are going down where there is still moist, where there is moisture. Whereas the first couple of inches of soil is already, I mean, I pulled, I pulled a, a fall panic come out. I mean, the soil is so dry, it looks like you're in a Mojave desert. I mean, terrible. So that is the, <clears throat> that is the uh, problem with low CEC soil you lose all your moisture and everything very very quickly so it's not a not a good sponge and i was out there the other day doing some foliar feeding and i'm using a, i'm trying testing a new product called source and it's from sound agriculture if you listen to my radio show i did an episode with them and uh and it's very very interesting and it's a uh, what it does is it uses the plant as a transport mechanism so you put it on foliar it's seven tenths of an ounce so about 30 milliliters of source to an acre of ground and you don't put it on the soil you put it you put it do it foliar i'm doing with a backpack sprayer as a test and it uses the plant as a transport mechanism and it goes in through the leaves and goes through the stem out to the roots and it extra and it 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 it, it uh it excuates i always pronounce it wrong but it, 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 it secretes it is the word i'm looking for it secretes it from the roots and it goes into the soil and what it does is that there's a the level of the, the soil between six in, inches and nine inches deep is called the microbiome and from over years of of the of using fertilizer and what have you all of the 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 beneficial microbes and all the beneficial fungi the soil is alive it's not dead and the thing is that it's not dirt dirt is what's on the kitchen floor soil is alive so the the all of these these uh microbes and everything in the microbiome this depth of soil between six and nine inches have become lazy they've been like on welfare because they because everybody uses fertilizer so they become lazy so what this is they say it's like caffeine for that soil and it wakes them up and specifically the nitrogen so that is uh so i just tried that the other day so we're doing some foliar feeding it's not uh, an easy job with backpack sprayer <laughs> so uh but i'd like to do some testing and god willing if things work out and we have a profitable year i may want to invest in another sprayer and have this just and do a complete foliar program on my farm but uh but that's not what this show was about but so that's that is what's going on so you learned a little bit if you're not in agriculture you learned a little bit about soil and it's called the cation exchange capacity and it's a measure of how many 
positive charge atoms are in the ground which would make it a better sponge to hold moisture and hold uh nutrients that they don't get don't, don't get washed away so now what finally right 23 minutes later what uh oh the other thing real quickly only because i'm trying to catch up with you guys because i only pulled it ahead i just want to thank everyone for reaching out to me as of right now donald has not returned home uh, so many of you have reached out to me and with your prayers and thoughts and that that's very very humbling and so is the community here but about well last thursday a little bit more than a week ago a neighbor about a mile and a half away i think 1.6 miles i clocked it it's amazing how many people have these doorbell cameras and they spotted a, a cat that came up on their porch during the day of the time and i would say it's probably a 75 to 80 percent chance that it was donald i wasn't able to see his tail or the white spot but his gait and his mannerisms looked like donald so god willing that is him i've been riding by their place about three to four times a day subsequently looking for him they they gave me free reign to the property it's very 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 nice of them and very very humbling so god willing that that is donald and he's maybe a mile and a half from here but we're not giving up hope our faith in the lord to answer our prayers and bring donald home to us has not diminished i will not i, I mean i would be lying and god knows your heart if i'm not disappointed that it did not happen yet but maybe the lord is showing us this doorbell video to show us that donald is safe and alive and he actually looked pretty good in that if that is him that that those doorbell video cameras sometimes distort things but he didn't look too badly if that were truly him and then a l l i e i'm spelling it because she is here she had the kittens the other day on on uh Mar march on uh, july 12th three beautiful kittens and uh, she's doing okay we're watching her she had almost like a seizure the other day which upset us but i didn't bring her to the doctor because i don't want to stress her she seems to be better maybe her body chemistry went off she's only a kitten herself and she's already had a second litter and the original three kittens are doing fantastically and my wife has them in the outside entertaining them while i record the show so that basically is but i want to thank you all for those who have continued to reach out to me and ask me about donald and believe me when the good lord brings him home you will be well i'm not going to say the first to know uh but but you will be you will know because you will hear it in my voice so thank you so much for your prayers and thoughts but what we're going to discuss today is you know and this this pertains to to every industry but i'm going to make my focus based upon the automotive industry and as i always say <clears throat> is that when i say the automotive industry what i mean is you know vehicles cars and trucks and uh passenger vehicles cars trucks light duty trucks and this and but the same thing the, the everything i'm going to be talking about goes into agricultural machinery goes into class seven class eight trucks you know freight liners kenworths it goes into other industries also but why i'm going to reference it off the automotive industry is that that industry is the most transparent and also because i was part of that industry but it is it, it is the most transparent within uh to the public and it's not necessarily that the auto industry itself chooses to be transparent but 
because of dynamics of car magazine car magazines a trade publication called automotive news and things of that nature that there is a uh, a conduit to get information out to the public whether they choose to read it or not or what have you and to give the public some semblance of of uh, an inside look of the industry so even if you read a magazine like car and driver they'll discuss something that's you know an insider part of the industry or talk to somebody about a new car about the manufacturing process or what have you where we really don't have that in agriculture or in other industries so you really don't you really don't have that where where you have that that level of transparency because of um because of the media i will say for lack of better terms so i'm going to reference it off of the auto industry but keep in mind everything that i'm going to say applies 110 percent to farm equipment to implements probably to washing machines and everything else in between all right so <clears throat> it's something that but the data and or the examples i'll give you from the car industry and i'm just going to grab a drink of water so hold on for for one second i'm gonna put that dragster on <clears throat> all right thank you <clears throat> i didn't kill a microphone i forget to do that so but you know and and i think this is really um it's 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 appropriate because of the because of the conundrum of covid and uh the and the um i would say the secondhand smoke effect right of of covid and all the things that happened that happened during the past year or two and factories closed down and supposedly this supply chain shortage and what have you but even prior to covid so we'll take covid out of the equation you know we've all probably bought something let me just clear my throat (coughs) excuse me probably bought something and it, it was either defective brand new or it had some sort of issue either brand new or shortly thereafter brand new you uh, buy whatever say a car you buy a pickup truck and then uh, two thousand miles later the rear main is leaking or whatever five thousand miles later the alternator goes out of the power window or whatever something happens to it all right and the thing is that and you know the, what i used what i call the water cooler talk right people around you know and the and it's farmers we'd say it's the cafe talk i want to know and the thing is leaking leaking like a seven motor right and we've all had that happen now keep in mind that as an engineer you have to look at it and say okay that when you put that you look at the percentages of failure and that's what the industry looks looks at they look at percentage of failure just like the medical industry will say to you well there's a 95 percent chance that you will get through this operation without any complications all right and out of the five percent that have complications three percent of them whatever making them ended up in a wheelchair and two percent of them died all right so so i guess i'm fabricating numbers here to to make a point so basically in essence if the doctor said well it's a 95 percent chance you're going to walk out of this operation healed with no problem whatsoever but you have to remember there's so if you took 100 people doing that operation if you look at percentages then it is five of them did not walk out of there five of them three of out of the five based upon the numbers i just fabricated went out of there in a wheelchair and the other two percent went went into the funeral parlor 
all right so and if you look at that so that means two people out of a hundred who had this operation died so all right so that's just like you know so many people get in the car each day and they go out they go on the road and a certain amount of people get killed so that's just the facts of life whether we like and we live in a world of we look at we look at at probabilities not possibilities can you get on a plane and the crash yes but what is the you know what is the probability of the plane crashing not going to say it never has a plane crash but the probability is very very small so what happens in the auto industry is that they look at <clears throat> what they call i think it i think the metric is your problems per 100 vehicles and this is a metric that they use it's internal in the other industry and sometimes you see this this data leak out in the news or what have you and most people don't pay attention know what it means so they say problems per 100 vehicles so that means that so using that 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 metric you say okay fine if you have 100 whatever f-150 pickup trucks and then the, the people have reported and usually in what they're reporting is is warranty claims so like anything in life if you don't if you don't if if, if you have a brand new vehicle or a brand new farm tractor and there's a problem with it and you don't bring it back to the dealer or say hey i got a problem with this and make a warranty claim then that that vehicle that piece of equipment appears to have no issues whatsoever so so what they do is they look at problems per 100 vehicles so the number is always over 100 so so if you say well i have 110 problems per 100 vehicles that means that that out of those vehicles that that some of them had more than one had a problem so this is and and there's always a something and the something could be from the motor blowing up to i don't like the way that piece of trim fits all right so it's all it's all over the map and then they have within the industry itself they have quality metrics that they assign and they look at it so in other words <clears throat> the general number is it takes everything all into play and for instance like not because i'm a ford guy but ford got a lot of black eyes the past three or four years because people were having trouble uh uh whatever they call it, not latching uh sinking but they don't use the word sink connecting their phone to the sink system so so they got a lot of black eyes in these jd powers reports because oh they got 200 problems per 100 vehicles or 500 whatever and i'm making up numbers i don't know what the data is i don't have it in front of me and then when you when you dig deeper into the data it's not that the motors blew up i'm not saying that nobody's motor blew up all right in any vehicle but the fact of the matter is is that the people are having trouble interfacing the telephone or using a navigation system so that gives it the same black eye as it would if the transmission failed to the, in the eyes of the public all right and but then like i said internally within the industry every company looks deeper at that and says okay fine all right we have a problem using ford as an example we have a problem with with interfacing or connecting connectivity i think they call it of the of the cell phone to the sync system people are frustrated with it or doesn't understand the voice command but the motor runs great the transmission is great but that's the only just like i go in my field and all i see in my field is the areas that <clears throat> that get washed out what did not germinate or, or not growing properly i don't see the corn that's beautiful i see the problems so that is something to keep in so keep in mind but now so following that same theme when you have a new vehicle or piece of farm equipment 
and then you either get a recall notice and they usually don't have recall notices on pieces of farm equipment because the re a recall notice is driven historically by the national highway traffic safety administration so there's a difference between a recall and a campaign a recall means that they that that they have to tell you you have a problem your car could be catching fire like teslas they could be catching fire you have to come in and look at it because of the wheels may fall off we determined that 200 cars the wheels fell off but they would say but there was only one injury reported out of the 200 wheels fell off or no injuries reported when you get the recall notice and that's a that's a that is i'm not going to say it's forced by the government but the government the national highway traffic safety administration is an overseer of that so what the companies do is that they go and they know they don't want to get nobody just like a farmer you don't want the government on your land no no company wants the government snooping around as much as i love my america i don't love my government i love my america and my flag i don't love my government so the thing is that nobody wants the government snooping around like the irs you don't want them snooping around so these companies do that on their own it's okay if we're going to issue a recall then they notify the national highway traffic safety administration that we're going to recall this xyz because of this and they give them it's a it's a paper trail for them so they don't get sued right but then there's something else called a campaign so a campaign means that the that the manufacturer i'll use that term realizes that there's an issue and let's say rear main seals leaking and what they basically say is okay we have a campaign that if a customer comes in and says that their rear main seals leaking on their xyz that we've had some problems with seals and then we will replace it free of charge or we'll extend the warranty for another fifty thousand miles or what have you or they could choose to do nothing and that's really called a, a it's a goodwill gesture by the company and all companies do it so a campaign does not mean that it is a safety issue but they realize they always screwed up over here we want to do good by this person who believed in our car or our truck and we want to do good by them and make it right but a campaign you will not get notified through the mail like you would with a recall a lot of people don't understand this so a recall you will get a notice in the mail your car is being your truck is being recalled for this blah 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 a campaign is you go and say hey my rear main i got an oil leak and it's oh yeah we have a campaign and that don't leave me make an appointment we'll put a new rear main seal on so using that as a as the segue into this what and in coming around with covid and bring trying to bring this all together in some semblance of order so it makes sense to you is that you have to realize that the auto industry and the farm equipment industry and specifically the auto industry because i don't think the farm equipment industry ever really followed had the level of of manufacturing prowess maybe a company like john deere did to a certain extent as the auto industry did but over the over the past 40 years and it started in the 80s when they decided that they're going to sub everything out was sub most of it out you know you look at the 50s the, uh, up until probably even the early 80s i mean if you uh excuse me if you looked under the hood of a an american car and uh whether it was a chrysler product 
a Ford product, a General Motors product, and, and AMC, AMC was the least of it, but still AMC, is that the majority of the parts that were in that vehicle and that engine, that company made in-house. So when you when you looked at it, you know, if you looked at a GM car, right, it had a, you know, a Delco alternator, all right? So Buick didn't make the alternator, but Delco made the alternator, which was a division of General Motors. It had, you know, a, a Harrison radiator, from Lockport, New York, Harrison Radiator. All right, it had you know an AC oil filter on, so it had all of these, all of these, all of these parts. The majority, the lion's share of the parts back then were made by the manufacturer. They made the pistons, they made the bearings. All right, and then as time went on, they started to sub some of that out to to suppliers, and then there was a big rush of this in the late seventy, late well, probably late seventies, early eighties, and then. In the late 80s, a big portion. In the 90s, there was this mindset where we want to drive the stock and we want to do this. And and so we're going to close the... close. You know, these car companies don't even make their own glass anymore. They're all out of the glass business. So, and if you look at it, and then this supplier network grew. So you'd have all of these companies that are became suppliers. So, for instance, if you were to look at... Um, whatever your newer vehicle that you that most likely the motor mount they never made all right they didn't make the uh uh or the pistons they didn't make or what have you so and and it becomes an assembly operation so they buy this from this 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 and this this and it'd be instant for instance make it analogous to like a company that makes that makes soup campbell soup right they used to be in new jersey i think their offices still are so they don't they if they, they don't make the noodles they don't make this they buy this they stub this off and they assemble it and put it together and for the most part today's vehicles and today's farm equipment are is assembled it's not it's not made by that company it's assembled and then uh but there isn't the level of transparency 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 when you're buying an eight hundred thousand dollar combine as you when you're buying a twenty thousand dollar pickup truck all right like a little maverick that's the only thing you get for twenty thousand dollars a little ford maverick whereas you would go on a passenger vehicle and they have a content label on it and that's also a discussion for some other show but what have you so now let's get back to this thing you buy this new xyz and a thousand miles later two thousand miles ten thousand whatever it is i mean within a short period of time the we'll go with the rear main seal the rear main seal leaks oil you bring it in for an oil leak it's under warranties oh yes <clears throat> yes mr mr bohax we have a campaign on the rear main seal and you make an appointment we'll bring it in and we'll fix it so that's wonderful so you're happy that you're not going to be leaking oil out of your new car or new pickup truck on your garage right floor but then now that but you can't help but say to yourself you know what's the matter they can't even make a rear main seal they can't make a water pump or they can't make a belt or my car has a wind leak my pickup truck has a wind leak oh we have a campaign on the needs a new molding a new weather strip molding what the heck they can't how the heck do they put the model together if they can't make a weather stripping well the fact of the matter is that you have to keep in mind that there is a specification for everything there's a, i'll use a blueprint specification for all of these parts because these parts are 
create uh, i'll say for the most for the most part the using part designed by the car manufacturer or by the farm equipment manufacturer but because we've gotten away from doing stuff in-house that we have that they work very closely with the suppliers so let's use the rear main seal so what may happen is that you may have general motors I won't pick on Ford anymore, pick on General Motors. Okay, we got this motor, we need a rear main seal. And then their engineer says, okay, well, the, the head of engineer says, okay, work with the guy from TRW and give him the specifications. This is what we need to do for the rear main seal and let them engineer it. And then we'll let them engineer it and bring it back. Or another aspect of it is they engineer it in-house and they put it out on bid. So it would be just like the commodities market. I need, you know, 10,000 bushels of corn. All right, so they put it out on bid, and they put it out to a couple of people on bid, and then they review the bid. So now when you have this scenario where you have a brand-new vehicle, brand-new piece of farm equipment, and something fails prematurely, whether that prematurely is on day one or day 342 or whatever 757 you say well they should have lasted more than two years all right the thing is that but usually it's a failure that happens relatively quickly and i've mentioned this before on the show it is because the vendor has changed the specification and did not let the the customer or in this particular instance the customer is ford or general motors or john deere or case ih or kubota no and then what happens is they go and that part fails so you because you so the average person is going to say what the hell they can't even design this what the hell's going on over here all these years of building tractors they can't design a hydraulic hose after they can't design a rear main seal they can't design an alternator all of these companies specifically the auto companies and i can't speak with a hundred percent a hundred percent uh clarity for the agricultural companies but i know that everybody tests this stuff ad nauseum i mean they test it like you wouldn't believe all right so what happens is that i'll make an analogy that let's say you're you're raising conventional corn and you go out there and you hire a uh, you 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 hire a a, a company right like a, a Gromark or somebody else to come out there and spray spray your corn, and the person and it's conventional corn. So 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 those who are not that well rooted in agriculture, when you say it's a conventional corn, mean it has no traits to it to withstand any chemical. For instance, like Roundup, which is glyphosate, or glufosinate, which is Liberty or uh 24d was not 24d tolerant corn or what happened soybeans and then the guy comes with the sprayer from this from the service right the crop protection service company who use grow mark as an example no black eye to them and the operator of this so he says go over to bohax and spray you know put uh, put a shot of fungicide on his sweet corn this is the fungicide we want 10 gallons per acre bah, 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 right and the guy didn't wash the sprayer out good and he was spraying Roundup. Oh, say Roundup has got it's been so stigmatized for no reason. It was a glufosinate Liberty it was spraying. He was spraying glufosinate over five minutes before, and he didn't do the proper washout on 
the sprayer unit. So now he comes to my field. He says, hey, Ray, listen to your podcast. I'm going to put the shot of fungicide you want on here, right? So we're going to put the shot of fungicide on here, right? I said, oh, beautiful. Thanks a lot. Here's 10 bucks. Buy yourself a cup of coffee. The guy does a beautiful job, doesn't run over any of my corn or very little of my corn, right? And he does that. And, hey, thank you. Boop, send me the bill in the mail. And I go out in the field. Of course, every farmer goes out in the field and keeps checking his crops, or he should be, just like his, when you look under the hood of your vehicles or your farm equipment. You can't just have blinders on. And they start to go out there two or three days later. Boy, the corn's starting to turn yellow. The corn's starting to this, right? Well, he had residue of, glyph- of glufosinate liberty in the tank. He didn't do a thorough washout. And now he ends up in agriculture, we'll call it ding it, ding it up. But usually when you do that, you don't ding it up, you kill it. So now within a week's time, my cornfield is dead because he didn't wash out. So now is that the fungicide's point? Part problem of his fungicide's fault? No. Is it my fault? No. Is it the guy who drove the sprayer? Well, maybe it is if he was the one who was supposed to do the washout. All right. But the thing basically is, is that if I had my own sprayer, I would have washed it out, knowing, hey man, I had glufosinate in here for those soybeans, and I want to put a shot of fungicide <clears throat> on my sweet corn. All right, I better make sure I wash this sprayer out very, very well because I don't want it to affect. So that is what happens. So in essence, in the industry, we say that the vendor changed the specification and did not tell did not tell the manufacturer oh yeah hey, joey it's good to go you wash out the tank yeah 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 go on go over to bohax and spray his sweet corn right and then my sweet corn is dead now this happens within the industry this and it's and it's actually even more prevalent from my opinion in the agricultural equipment industry because they they rely more on third-party on third-party engineering and third-party manufacturing but the auto industry today is very very big on third-party manufacturing and they actually call them tiers so in the auto industry is a tier one tier two tier three supplier so basically in essence if i go i go buy a new silverado pickup truck with a 5.3 in it maybe mal m-a-h-l-e some people think in molly or let's say or trw made those pistons so if trw is making those pistons and selling them directly to chevrolet to put in the 5.3 motor that's what's called a tier one supplier so they're supplying the making of something and they're supplying it right to to the 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 customer which in this particular instance is chevrolet but there's also tier two tier three i don't think there's tier four there's tier two and tier three suppliers so in essence if i am supplying the aluminum to make that piston directly to trw and then trw is going to make that piston and send it to chevrolet right or john deere or anybody else then I am a tier two supplier because I'm second in the rung. They're using my, the piston is made from my aluminum, but I am not making the piston. So now what happens is that using the piston as a design, as an as a, as a, uh, example, that there's all different types of metallurgy. I am not a metal, metallurgist. I am a member of uh, ASM, which is the American Society of Materials out in Ma- Materials Park, Ohio. All right, they have this separate address there, like SAE, 
very interesting place if you're out there it's out about 40 50 miles outside of cleveland it's called materials park ohio you're allowed to walk around on the grounds very very interesting it's called asm the american society of materials it's an engineering society for materials even though i am not a metallurgist but there's all different formulations of aluminums of steels of metals when you're starting getting involved in this you know we say oh that's cast that's that's this that's all right, right all right i mean that's <laughs> just like you look in a seed catalog if you're a farmer there's all different genetics right so that's nothing compared to what you have in the materials so the tier two supplier changes the composition of the the aluminum the raw aluminum that they're sending to trw to make the piston trw made the piston fine they didn't do anything wrong but now you put the piston in the 5.3 chevy motor fits fine and everything you climb a hill all right it detonates a little bit and the pin bar cracks and you say oh my god chevrolet after all these years they can't design a piston doesn't crack and take one 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 shot of detonation and it cracks the pinball no because the material that it was made with was incorrect did not meet the specification so this is very very common so when you have a failure early on and is specifically if it's not a, if it's not an acute failure so well just you just use my alternator went bad and there's and the company itself where john deere looks at it using picking on them right and says well we built so many of these combines only one alternate went well that's you know that's that's like saying well you put so much stuff through the post office some letter is going to get lost right and you do a billion letters something's going to get lost if i go out in the field if i have twenty thousand four hundred per acres plants and i go out into the field and i have 10 acres of that i have right two uh, uh, two hundred thousand plants and in in the uh, uh in in the field well one uh, all two hundred thousand are not going to be a hundred percent perfect right your, your goal as a farmer is to make them all as best, best as you can as like as they can but that is not always going to be the case that's the reality of life all right so and you're accepting of that as long as you say well i have two hundred thousand plants and a half a percent of them one percent of them are not perfect or don't make an ear then that's fine if you say 50 percent of them are not making any well then you got some problems buddy right so that's why like i look at and in in production agriculture as far as grain they look at bushels per acre they'll say okay have forty-two thousand plants per acre they'll mathematically calculate well if i have forty-two thousand plants per acre and this i should have so many bushels per acre all right and the thing is that so if you say well mathematically i should have 300 bushels per acre and i have 290 well that's great right i have i have uh 310 well that's even better because you did more you did more than the calculation which is very possible like volumetric efficiency all right in an engine so the thing is that you say i got a hundred bushels per acre well something's really really wrong here buddy that you should be making 300 you're making 100 so keep in mind and why i want to bring this up is that because of the transparency of the auto industry that this that that you get to see if you're within the industry you get to see this like for instance picking back and forth only because i happen to see it in a trade publication i think they're having some sort of fires or something underneath i don't know one of the eco boost engines don't even hold me to it there's a problem all right there's a there's a there's a problem and maybe it wasn't a fire i don't know i don't remember what it was but oh it's something to do with electronics that's what it was but this is the first time i saw in a recall saying that that the 
that the circuit or something with the circuit board was overheating. That's what was causing the fire. What it controlled, I forgot. Oh, I think it was with a hybrid. But anyway, so whatever, it's moot. Uh, but the thing is that they said the circuit board that the that the per, that the company so this is probably was a tier two supplier that they that they subbed the circuit board manufacturing out to decided to change the production plant that they were making so let's say arguably they were making it in canada or maybe they're making it in uh in oklahoma right and this come they didn't go into this detail so i'm fabricating this and they said now okay we're gonna make it our plant in china right they're gonna make our plant in china or in mexico and those that were made there were not made to the specification maybe they changed the diode maybe they used wrong so i don't know what it was i'm making stuff up all right but the fact of the matter is but this is the first time i saw in print that they identified that it was the supplier changed the specification well they changed the specification by changing the manufacturing location so you say what the heck difference does that make well it makes a lot of difference because maybe they needed a certain type of machine and that's why they were making it in that plant in oklahoma or maybe there's a whole bunch of different things that come into play but the take-home message here is that uh, that usually when you have something that fails very very early on in its life and well well, there's a lot of failures within that community so all of the all of the rear mains or 20 percent of the rear mains leaking or most of these pickup trucks have a wind leak all right it's because the the vendor what we call it the vendor changed the specification in some way shape or form that does you no good all right you still got a a hundred thousand dollar pickup truck that wind leaks or vibrates or something so there's no <clears throat> there's no comfort in that for you there's a little bit of comfort of saying well geez the company is not as screwed up as i thought it was all right but the fact of the matter is that so you may be saying to yourself you know why didn't they check it because these these suppliers are sly they don't tell the customer oh yeah well just like the guy said hey oh i washed that tank out good don't worry about it boss i gotta go spray fungicide on bohack sweet corn right but he didn't pardon my language as a christian he did a half-assed job so these people chain stuff they send it to them and they keep their fingers crossed hoping that there's not a problem right but then you as the consumer end up having this whatever it is whether it's a twenty thousand dollar vehicle or eight hundred thousand dollar combine that's problematic or has this issue because some vendor someplace changed something and as i get ready to close here and get to the letter is that what happened why i'm saying this bringing up about covid is because you know as as much as i like to buy new I, I i i always buy new i mean it's past 30 years 40 years i bought it since i started to have a career i don't i buy new i keep take care i keep it forever and contrary to what you know the part of me says hey i want to support the auto industry american owners i want to support the farm equipment manufacturers that you're going to see down the road and it's starting to come up already that if you could probably i mean i care about my audience I care about you that's what my mission is that the thing is that if you could refrain from buying something new right now you're probably better off so i personally think that it's and you know with all these what they call supply chain issues there i mean i mean john i'm picking on john Deere because it happened to be in the public eye and it's no disrespect to anybody who's 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 listening from john Deere. but last year the workers at some plant went on strike 
and the thing is that they went on strike and then to keep production going they had the white collar guys going and work on the assembly line i'm not saying the white collar guys are bad but they're not familiar with it. i just bought i was telling you i was doing this foliar feeding i want to buy a brand new backpack sprayer to, because i wanted nothing in that sprayer before i not that anything better with no cross contamination nothing brand new backpack sprayer to try this foliar program with with this source the, the product is called source from sound agriculture to mic to feed the microbiome which i said it early on buy a brand new chapin which i like their sprayers i think they're cadillac sprayers backpack sprayer i go to put it together i order right from the chapin people the holes for this handle are drilled in the wrong place I, I you 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 couldn't pump that thing for for a hundred million dollars to give you a hundred million dollars pump the sprayer because the holes the shaft so i took it all apart i said no i said these holes they're, they're drilled out of phase they screwed it all up and i guarantee you it was a probably a sublet drill job maybe from china or something or during covid or what have you now i blame chapin because they should have quality controlled it right so you could say well you're not blaming the car companies but you're blaming chapin right well the thing basically is is that you should very easily in your assembly line be able to say well if i put the pump in the holes over here the handle the holes on the for the handle should be in this clock position just like putting a distributor motor so well, the, 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 the rotor should face this way and the cap should face this way if it's eight, 90 degrees out that should be very very apparent and these holes were 90 degrees out so the thing is that as i get ready to go into the letter is that it may be a blessing in disguise that you can't get a new truck or a new car this year it may be a blessing in disguise that you can't get a piece, new piece of eight hundred thousand dollar farm equipment all right it may be a blessing in disguise because i personally think and sincerely god look at my heart i hope that i am wrong that you are going and you're already starting to see it in your auto industry and i spoke spoke about in the beginning and have showed the amount of problems per hundred vehicles all right the amount of problems per 100 vehicles has almost doubled throughout the industry don't hold me to the exact number i'm giving you an anecdotal number so don't say well i went to jd powers i saw the harbor report and i saw this whatever those are different reporting agencies the thing is that but for the most part have almost doubled from 2020 to 21 because what's happening is that you're getting a lot of this these vendors that are for whatever a multitude of reasons whether it's you know partially covid partially people working with masks in a pack the guy's fogging up his glasses he can't see how the hell to put the run the wiring harness and he catches it with the wire but these vehicles and this farm equipment and nobody's going to tell you this but me is probably going to have a long history of being problematic and if you look back at the auto industry from years ago if you look back at the farm equipment manufacturing industry it was not uncommon and this is no disrespect to anyone to cars that were built during a strike or and 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 they brought workers in there i'm not saying they're scab workers you could call them scabs all right were unfamiliar with the with the procedures all right and those those vehicles those farm equipment historically had a history of being problematic and it was usually not one problem it was this one has this problem this one has that problem and then that's what these cove and nobody wants to talk about that the equipment manufacturers association and the car dealers everything is that they're getting rudimentary problems not saying well we got this high-tech engine and we didn't no no the engineering was fine the testing was ad nauseum ad nauseum but if the guy 
changes getting back to the rear seal if the guy changes the compound of the rear seal or changes hey you know we got the mold that mold is worn it's just about out of spec out of hell where we can't get another mold for six months we got to get these rear rear seals done for for john deere and then you put it in all the engines leak so count your blessings count your blessings because it may personally i i mean if i had to if god forbid something happened i would buy a new tractor or a new vehicle i'm not saying that i wouldn't all right that i wouldn't buy it that i would go out of business or something because of that but you may want to consider an extended warranty and you may want to be very accept uh i shouldn't say very accepting more accepting of some issues simply because of the way this whole thing panned out and nobody wants to talk about it they want to tell you it's all great and you may want to buy an extended warranty that may not do you any good to a certain extent but at least it'll limit your like crop insurance it'll limit your exposure but just keep that in the back of your mind that historically it's a vendor issue not a design issue it's a vendor issue right and the thing is that and if the vendor changed something the guy didn't wash out the sprayer tank well he went and he sprayed fungicide on my sweet corn and he killed it because he had glufosinated so if you have any questions or any concerns or rebuttals to this or arguments please reach out to me at hot rod farmer at farmmachinerydigest.com and now we're going to bring tex rubinowitz in from ripsaw records you guys haven't heard him for a while come on tex Everybody, Tex, thank you so, so much. It's good that the people on the radio show him, but you guys haven't heard Tex in quite some time, all right? So I have a letter here. It's a little bit long. The show today's going to be a little bit long, but I apologize for that. And uh, very nicely re- letter, and it's written uh, by Mr. Timothy Kempel. The God knows, well, he's Salt Lake City, Utah. He does have his name. And I responded right to Mr. Kempel directly, and this came to me through Hemmings Muscle Machines, but it does have value to you in the agricultural part of the industry part of the world community so he writes and i'll and and whatever i humbly i'll read the uh, because it it segues into it so i don't want to leave it out so i don't want to think that i'm that that i want somebody to blow smoke my way all right says ray i love your column and i think you usually write about most things haha my wife probably loved that uh but i disagree with your advice to ray a different ray heberling about engine rebuilding saying that to rebuild an engine you have to do a complete overhaul it's like saying that a car restoration means every nut and, that means you have to change every nut and bolt it is not a restoration if the body is left on the frame so <clears throat> this person wrote me a letter so you can understand the context of this and he said that he always wanted to rebuild a 350 chevy and he whatever he's on his bucket list of things to do and uh, but he wanted to rebuild an ls now i said well you can't get a three so whatever but i said to him look you have to look at this do you have the tools do you have you have to to rebuild an engine properly you have to do a lot of machining a lot of a lot of machine work which obviously you have to sub out you're not going to go and buy a hone and a balancing machine and learn how to use it and spend two hundred thousand dollars with equipment to rebuild an engine so everybody hone subs out certain things as far as engine rebuilding is concerned i should say most people do unless you're in unless you're a complete machine shop 
So I said to this person, Mr. Ray Herbling, that, you know, you have to look at this and then you have to do the machine work and then you have to, you could assemble it yourself, but make sure you have an engine stand, you have a torque wrench, you have a complete set of tools. And respectfully, a lot of people who write to me in this from this particular magazine have a desire for to do something. They don't have the skill sets or the equipment or the foundation to do with the thing. And I'm saying it respectfully. Of course, the guy went to Home Depot and bought a ratchet wrench that he thinks that he's a, that he's going to rebuild an engine. And maybe he can or maybe he can't. And I never tell anybody they cannot do it because, it's no, it's, it's you know, how hot does your oven get? Do you want to learn how to do this? Do you want to have the proper tools? Do you want to, you know, if... if if you don't have that, then you're not gonna you're not gonna do it. It's like I can't farm ten thousand acres by myself. I have enough time farm to a hard time farming my little Mickey Mouse operation as it is by myself. All right. So that's what this person is writing about. So now he continues on and says, As a kid, we rebuilt many engines on the garage floor. We used a cylinder ridge as an indicator of where. If there was significant if there was significant ridge, then the block would have to be bored and thus too and often too expensive if only a minor ridge then the hone then we would hone the cylinders new rings if the grooves were still square if the ring grooves were too worn then new pistons with rings we replaced cam bearings if they looked worn but rarely we always replaced rod bearings but mains were often okay we never had the block boiled we would have the valves reground and the head surface if needed. A new timing chain was added if needed. These engines always ran well, never smoked, and were relatively inexpensive. Certainly a complete overhaul will last longer and be less likely to fail if raced, but I don't get the impression that that is what he is looking for. Keep up the good work, Tim Kempel, Salt Lake City. And I responded directly to Mr. Kempel. And the impetus for this, the second impetus for you to understand the background for it, is that that issue of Muscle Machines had this drop-dead gorgeous 69, what they call a resto mod on the cover. Car was drop-dead gorgeous. <coughs> I mean, beautiful paint. I mean, stance on it, I mean, it was gorgeous. I mean, I fell in love with this car. All right, as soon as I saw it on the cover, the interior was done over in leather. I mean, the car was sparing no expense. And I didn't read the article, all right? I mean, I go to my column to see if they screwed it up, pardon my French. But other than that, I'll scan the magazine. I don't, sadly, I don't have the time to read them anymore, the car magazines. I'll look at what interests me. And I'm usually not too interested in a car feature because usually they're just talking about, you know, and the owner usually did nothing and he just paid somebody to do it, but whatever, so... I look at the in that particular instance I look at the pictures I like to read the technical articles but that's me so obviously in this article about this core this this Dodge Dart this drop dead gorgeous Dodge Dart and that's what Mr. Kempel is, is a Kempel yeah is referring to is that it's mentioned that the engine was only honed and reused the same pistons and put new rings in now I would have to say my good guesstimate is the guy had a quarter of a million dollars in this car. I'm repeating it for the fifth time. Drop dead gorgeous. Now, why would you put a quarter of a million dollars? Cut it in half, 125000 I bet you the pay job was 50000 but 125000 and and take an engine from 1969, and they, he was the second, the father owned the car. <coughs> 
excuse me, new, has 140,000 original miles on it, 140,000 mile engine, which has a zillion cold starts, and you would not rebuild it properly. So what I said to Mr. Kemper, well, first of all, number one, maybe the guy lied to the writer of the magazine, who knows, which is not unlikely. <laughs> he wants, because people think, oh, it's all original. It's got the original oil and it. it's got the original this, it's got the original oh, 1969, right? I mean, that's like saying, well, this is my original teeth. I never brushed my teeth since 1969 when I was born, all right? So anyway, so, but whatever, like, you know, there's no right or wrong. But what I wanted to address here is that what Mr. Kemple respectfully is saying is really not qualified as as uh, as a proper rebuild what we would call that on the east coast is a taxi cab rebuild and the reason why you need to bore and hone the cylinders is because if you don't bore the cylinders the taper that was created in the cylinder from where after all of these years will the hone will follow that so you're going to have an out of round cylinder so the reason why you're overboring is that you want to make this cylinder concentric round again, and when you make it, when you bore it, you make it larger, so you have to fit an oversized piston. So the why I'm sharing this with you is that if you know, I won't even, and like I said, no disrespect to Mr. Kemple whatsoever, and I appreciate him writing to me, but what he, I mean, and. And what he's doing, what he did as a kid, and we all did stuff as a kid, that's not a proper rebuild. So he says, well, the engines ran well, never smoked, they were relatively inexpensive. Grant, I'm not going to deny that. If they ran, okay, fine. They're not going to last 100,000 miles. They're not going to they're not gonna they're not gonna they probably use more oil they probably had other issues but when you're young if it gets you to your girlfriend's house or gets you cruising you're happy so the thing basically is so in essence what i'm trying to say is that when you're looking to rebuild an engine i would not consider what mr i would say that engine was re-rung he put new rings on it all right but everything else he took oh that's fine that's fine that's fine so what did you really do I mean, people take an engine apart and they'll re-gasket because all the gaskets are old. So they put new rear main steel on, take the crank out, new new new, new gaskets, new intake manifold gasket, new head gasket. Then you say, I re-gasketed the engine. You did not rebuild the engine. So the fact of the matter is, just like you could grow a crop and you could say, I put some seed in the ground, this is my crop, or you could take the crop and you could do soil tests, you could do foliar feeding, you could do everything properly. So keep in mind that this is a mindset that that the that that is very very common within the engine industry whether it's for a combine or whether it's for a muscle car or for anything in between is that there's only one way to do it right and to do it right you need to confirm all of those specifications you need to you need to measure everything you need to put make sure everything is round and square and you can't just eyeball and say well there's not much of a ridge in the cylinder so it's fine then the guess the valves look okay then it's fine and everything is fine 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 then my contention is what the hell are you taking it apart for if it's fine all right if everything is fine when you took it apart then what was the catalyst for you to take it apart so like i say no disrespect whatsoever but it's my job to teach my audience, and that's why I told them, it's my job to teach my audience in the magazine how to do it correctly. And if you don't want to do it correctly, that's your thing. 
That's not that's not right. Whatever you can do, whatever you want. You go to the doctor, he tells you to take this medicine. You don't want to take the medicine. He tells you, you know, take even though if you feel better, take the take you know, take the antibiotic until it's all done. You say I feel better in two days. A heck, we're not taking the antibiotic. Well, he doesn't care. He gave you the proper advice. So it's my job to give the proper advice. It's your job to do with what you want with it. All right. So, but <clears throat> that is not. But it but it just dumbfounded me why somebody would have such a beautiful car, and then not do it correctly or have a piece of equipment that your businesses your farming business your ranching business your livestock business is is this piece of equipment is foundational to your business and then you mickey mouse it it makes no sense but people do it all day long so this time i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmers poem for you the american farmer and rancher my beloved beloved america you have a blessed day and i'll catch you next week thank you bye bye